All right, welcome back. The Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum has had a speakers series for some time now called For the People. Uh, really unique presentations on important topics. The next event in that series comes up next Thursday. And the speaker is the host of the longest running show on public television in America. In fact, a show whose origins date back long before there was actually a PBS. The show was called The Open Mind, and the grandson of the original host and creator of the show is currently the host, and he'll be speaking here in Springfield next week. Alexander Hefner joins us live this afternoon. Thanks so much for the time. It's great to talk to you. Hey, Jim. Before we get into your uh, appearance here in Springfield next week and the very important topics you're going to be talking about, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the origins of The Open Mind. Uh, this is a show that has been around for nearly 70 years since its beginnings, uh, again, started by your grandfather. Tell us a bit about the, the show and how it's evolved over the years. Sure. Well, thanks for having me, Jim, and I'm looking forward to visiting with you and, and some of your friends and colleagues and Springfield and um, the greater Springfield area. I know folks uh, come far and wide to the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library. Um, the origin of the program is to elicit the insights into contemporary concerns of public policy, um, which really is not the dominant feature of our civic life or our um, mainstream media today. Uh, we, we know that um, public policy got clobbered a long time ago and displaced by entertainment as the primary form of, of information um, in the diet of most Americans. Uh, but, but this was really at the advent of television and um, examining some critical issues. Um, you know, foremost on the minds of Americans um, were the Cold, Cold War uh, race and segregation in America, uh, specifically the racism and segregationist policies and i think i attribute the progress we made in becoming you know, more civil and equitable on on race relations and also the advancement of geopolitical relations between the u.s and the ussr then um i attribute it to a sophisticated understanding from the American people that public policy counts and that public policy can't be determined or dictated in the breath of tweets. And and that's something I, I desperately want to believe is still true today. And I think for many of us, it, it is still true that public policy does matter, that it isn't just uh, the, the quick uh, acid aside on, on social media. And yet that seems to dominate a lot of our discourse today, uh, which brings us to the, your book, which is going to be one of the things you'll be talking about when you're here in Springfield next week, a book called A Documentary History of the United States. And it, it does uh, reflect uh, the, the sort of the the vast catalog of writings and speeches, uh, court documents, but also tweets and, and other, you know, lesser perhaps forms of communication that have really shaped American history. Tell me a bit about the book, if you would, please. Sure. Um, well, the book also is a testament to the importance of, of nuance and preserving context in our American experience, and specifically when the book was originally released, um, also authored by my grandfather first before co-authored um, by both of us, and I took the reins um, since he's left us, um, the, the book is a testament to understanding and documenting um, 
with intellectual honesty, the diversity of the of the American experience, um, our cultural and political life. Um, and so you made reference to some of the elegant, eloquent speeches of our times, um, you know, the, the kind of ones that have become cliche in a sense, uh, the Gettysburg Address, uh, inaugurals that we've had dated, dating back to Washington through the present. Um, but the book also gives life to some of the controversies through our republic and how we were unsuccessful in righting wrongs, um, because I'd like to talk about the American experience, and I will when I'm in Springfield next week, from the perspective of those original founding documents, the Constitution and the Declaration, and aspiring to life, liberty, and happiness, but not achieving that or fulfilling that for the vast majority of people still today in our current economy. That's more true than ever. Um, and, of course, the betterment of our union, striving to make it more perfect. And so we have to be uh, truthful with the current generation and future generations that America is a, an unendingly complicated story um, that is the pursuit of, of certain virtues, uh, some established in those founding documents, uh, but also the per perpetuator um, of some... Um, Know, moral wrongs, um, and um, you know we've we've experienced it, we've perpetrated it, we've perpetuated it. Um, but we know that that in our founding documents there is life, there is the aspiration for all human beings who live here to live with dignity and hopefulness and 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 kindness, and and so. That's what I'll be talking about more, how we can end the vicious cycle of vitriol, viciousness, vindictiveness in our political system um, and systematically reset, um, you know, as we look towards these upcoming midterm elections and, you know, future electoral contests that will um, ultimately reflect the shape of this country. But we, we know fundamentally um, that there are original sins, uh, but there are also uh, moral triumphs of this nation. Let's be honest that we have experienced both and will continue to experience both. We're talking with Alexander Hefner. He's the host of The Open Mind. He'll be speaking next Thursday evening at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum, talking about these keystone documents of American history, but also talking about, and this couldn't be more timely, the future of democracy itself. And w without uh, giving away too many spoilers of your speech, I have to ask, does democracy in fact have a future? Because we really seem at a tipping point right now. Jim, you know, I know you know this, and, and you know, there's actually a congressman, Jim Leach, um, who was my one of my first tutors in the professional realm in politics, and he actually, um, like you, is really dedicated to his craft of democracy as a former congressperson. Um, you know, I think about people like you and people like uh, the former congressman uh, who are really dedicated to um, the... Um, active um, and just practice of democratic deliberation, um, empathetic, inclusive, uh, often rigorous, sometimes heated. But we know that it's imperiled. We know that through the centuries and decades in every form of government, that form of government is imperiled. Um, people question, uh, sow seeds of division, doubt whether you got it right 
or we got it right. And, you know, we're going through this turbulent time now where people are, are challenging the contention that democracy can work. But we also have to reevaluate in our institutions, in those founding documents, how much of them were promising democracy. I mean, we know that some aspects of our system are inherently anti-democratic or undemocratic. So we don't, we don't have a, a crisis of totalitarianism yet in, in, in the United States. We may well, but we have to go back and figure out what in our system works and what doesn't. And that, that, is, that is an awfully difficult proposition. The folks in, in Chile are grappling with that right now, writing a new constitution. I'm not proposing we need a new constitution. But we need to understand that there are anti- or undemocratic facets of our government. The absence of, of uh, corru anti-corruption reforms that were promised after the Trump administration, things that should have been first on the docket after that uh, presidency, and frankly, going back the last half century, problems we've had with Democrats and Republicans in not practicing the kind of government they're preaching. Um, you know, so so fundamentally, is democracy imperiled? Yes, but did, have we ever really fully formed democracy in America? No, it's a work in progress, and it always will be a work in progress. It's just how much do we want to take ownership of that democracy? And, and when I talk when I talk about that, I'll give prescriptions for how we can gentrify, in effect, modernize our system to work for people who have different points of view on important issues, but ultimately see the necessary uh, political fabric as being one that furthers public health, that furthers literacy, that furthers wellness and well-being. I mean, we because we know that despite the hardships of, of polarization in this country, I don't think we want ideological to gridlock to stop the faucets from producing clean water or to stop, you know, allowing us to breathe clean air, uh, to stop foreign invasions or attacks like 9-11. There are things that we ought to be unified about, and we need to reaffirm and reestablish them. It's a really important point, but we're living in a time where two sets of people can get the exact same input, the exact same data, and craft two diametrically opposed realities out of them. And last night was a perfect case in point as President Biden delivered a speech about the, quote, soul of the nation, and uh, half the country appears to think, boy, he's just really nailed it. He's laid out the problems we're facing, and the other half believes that it's the rise of a new Hitler declaring war on on the other half of the country. I, I've got to ask your reaction to Biden's speech last night. Well, look, we, President Biden doesn't, for those hardworking, well-read Americans who understand you know, democracy and our economy, they, or the, the premise that we should have a, a functional democracy and economy, that, and it hasn't worked for folks, I mean, that, that premise, I think, is established, both on the economy and democracy front. Um, the divide you point to in the in the reception of information is definitely true, and we ought to accept that there are business models on the left and right and everywhere in between that want your information intake to be, um, you know, a a, a um, you know basically a single size uh, and not consider you know, different points of view um, and and basically reproduce that um, time and time again 
so that you you know you have algorithms that are basically feeding people what they want um, and and so news was not it, it wasn't about what we wanted for many many years in, in in America it wasn't you know we we had certain goals as a country and and as states governors senators presidents but we didn't want it to fit a single size we wanted the best for our children and grandchildren and that's a big difference now i mean when you think of the earlier generation of uh of folks who were who were writing the news sharing it with the american people there wasn't that same diametrically opposed i'm going to watch a speech and you know we're we're going to we're going to have a business model that um treats it um like it is uh, pro-democracy or anti-democracy. I will say, though, Jim, that we know, dating all the way back to Franklin Roosevelt, I mean, when we think of the greatest threat to our republic in, in the history of, um, you know, that we know, th there were folks, you know, who would compare Franklin Roosevelt, President Roosevelt, to uh, totalitarian leaders of his time, um, he served four terms. Uh, he was unusual in a variety of respects in terms of, you know, not having the same relationship with democracy. Now, since then, term limits were imposed. On the other hand, we have a gerrymandering and, you know, systemically dysfunctional congressional elections. So there are things that are far worse than they were then. But the bottom line, you know, in, in terms of your question about President Biden is that can we come to the table and understand, have a mutual and collective understanding of what democracy ought to be, right? Because there are those people in, in the wake of the Roe v. Wade decision, and, and myself long before then, who said, look, there are the, excuse me, the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Um, there, there are people in communities that stretch from New York to Nebraska, California, who felt like they were denied franchise in, in certain decision-making. And, uh, and the, the idea of an unelected Supreme Court um, that, in fact, um, made it so that certain communities uh, could, could not legislate, um, whether it's allowing prayer in, in, in classrooms or, um, you know, cutting off uh, abortion access, reproductive health access. Now, there are those communities that have felt denied the right to legislate. And we ha when we have a conversation about democracy, I think everything President Biden said, um, you know, has merit. But I also think that if we're going to have an open conversation about democracy, we have to understand what people want from democracy. And, and with and that, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. We're absolutely out of time. I've got to get a couple of commercials in here. But again, next Thursday, you can hear a lot more about this important discussion. Alexander Hefner of The Open Mind and co-author of A Documentary History of the United States. Thursday, September 8th, the program's at 7 p.m. PresidentLincoln.Illinois.gov.